Welcome to the Virtual Staff Room, a podcast made for teachers, by teachers, and all with a dash of educational technology thrown in. My name is Joachim Cohen, and today I'm joined by Yvette Pashoglian, an awesome member of the Technology for Learning team. Welcome, Yvette. In this episode, due to the release of a brand new New South Wales Education Cyber Education resource, we have a special guest in the staff room, New South Wales Education Cyber Expert, Mona Sidhu. Welcome, Mona. And tell us a little bit about your role as our cyber expert. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Joe. Great to be here. My role as the Cyber Awareness and Education Manager at New South Wales Department of Education, as the name suggests, I look after cyber safety training and awareness in the department. As we all know, we are being hit with a lot of spams and scams, and we all know that um, it's coming in recent times. So uh, what is happening is there is an increasing need to learn how you can adapt to this changing digital threat environment and be cyber smart. And you can only do this if you have good online safety skills and you have the knowledge and you build them as habits, you know, your change in behavior. Um, so I'm working very closely with Cybersecurity New South Wales and the eSafety Commissioner's Outreach Education Team as well. Um, and we have developed a fantastic Cyber Marvel program uh, for our primary schools um, that we are launching this year. Great to have you here, Mona. So excited about this program that you've developed and, and worked on. There's so many incredible resources that are coming up for students and teachers and the whole community online. I'll talk to you a little bit about Cyber Marvel, and we are very lucky to be partnering with T4L team. They are an amazing bunch of people. You guys have just been amazing supports um, in this program. So Cyber Marvel, as I just said, is an online safety awareness program for primary schools, and we are partnering with other states um, in this initiative. We've got Queensland, we've got Tasmania, Victoria, Northern Territory, South Australia on board. Um, and we've launched a website on the T4L um, teaching and learning resources section for Cyber Marvel. So there's a page for teachers, there's a page for principals, and there's also resources for parents. So in this program, we have teacher and parent webinars. We've got student classroom activities. We've got professional learning for principals. And all resources and activities are linked to the best practice framework from the eSafety Commissioner. And the theme for that program um, this year, also from the eSafety Commissioner's uh, best practice framework, is students' rights and responsibilities in the digital age. So um, this is the focus to make students aware of what they should or should not do in the online space. And also that it is okay to seek adult help if they're not sure if they feel unsafe, you know. So we're going to touch on those points and making sure that students know how they can become more digitally mature than what they are at the moment. Mona, absolutely amazing program. I know I'm excited to go and take a dive and a jump into it. And I think, you know, every one of our listeners will be going, what's the website address? It's in the show notes, people. That's for sure. So go and take a look. And it's on the T4L website. And Mona, coincidentally enough, on, on today's episode, we've, we've really decided to dedicate a little bit of time to unpacking more about digital footprints and cyber awareness. So I'm hoping you might want to hang around and join us for the rest of the episode. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do it. Fantastic. Well, our guest today is going to blow your mind and really drill home the importance of cyber awareness. So, listeners, we've all heard of Indiana Jones and been inspired by the way he looks into the past to solve problems. But what does a modern-day Indiana Jones look like? 
Someone who can use data and information and the whole range of technology tools to gain insights and solve problems. Maybe you're thinking MI5, SAS, or in 2021, it might just as easily be a marketing executive or a human resources expert. It's all about intelligence. We all know how to Google, but do we know how to do it well? What could a power searcher, an intelligence miner do and discover from our collective and global online footprint? Well, with the launch of the Cyber Marvel program, we thought we needed to find out, and who better to ask than an intelligence expert? And today we are lucky enough to be joined by someone who leads an organization called Ocean Combine or Open Source Intelligence Combine. Chris Poulter, founder of Ocean Combine, welcome to the virtual staff room. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for the generous introduction. Okay, now Chris, we're very curious. Tell us a little bit, little bit about what you and the OSINT Combine Open Source Intelligence team do. So, so we run a uh, Australian-based open source intelligence company, and we focus on sort of three key areas: uh, being software training and services. And, and what we're all about is open source intelligence capability development uh, within organisations. We work. Uh, in the commercial side, and we also have a philanthropic side of the business, uh, which looks at things like uh, counting human trafficking and uh, missing person support. Uh, and we do that not just in Australia from a customer base, but, but from a global perspective as well. Wow. Okay. Now, I've got a little bit of an image forming inside my mind, Chris. And, you know, I really want to know what a typical day for you looks like. Are you out in the field, you know, inside a car with tinted windows, or are you inside, you know, a, lock, a locked, dark, secure room? No, but, well, neither of those. Uh, it is all online, though. We're not out in the field in a... Uh, are doing field-based activities, but it's all publicly available information uh, in the online medium that, that we're, uh, we we essentially look at uh, for the different aspects of our role. So uh, a typical day, it, it varies. It really is situation dependent. So we have the business as usual stuff where we're doing obviously business development around um, getting our platform and our training offerings into customers to build their capabilities so they can uh, service their own mission sets and operations. Uh, but then on the other side, we do a lot of, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the philanthropic side. So a lot of work in the county human trafficking uh, space and counterterrorism and support the non-profits and, and non-government organisations uh, for their particular activities. And so I have a services team, uh, an intelligence services team that purely works on that. So their day shifts dynamically. Uh, it depends on what things are, uh, what situations are presenting and how they can potentially support. Um, and then obviously like the, the business side of the house is uh, is working to see how we can better service our customers in, in looking at that online landscape, really. Chris, uh, there's so many different avenues that you're following up on, so many different types of intelligences that you're gathering. And I've got this image in my mind, a little bit of what Joe was touching on, of maybe M from James Bond or Q even. Um, what types of intelligences are you talking about when you're, you're talking about this kind of um, gathering of information? How does it work? Right, so so, so it's, it's it's definitely not the the dark and spooky and and the exciting stuff. It's um, although yeah, we are we are very excited by the work we do and the people we support. But it's all looking at publicly available information uh, and, and primarily from the online medium uh, and looking at how you can collect that, analyze that, and and drive some form of meaning 
which leads to that intelligence output. Um, and so that's essentially uh, the, the types of intel uh, we play with. And then organisations will fuse that with their own uh, other offerings, you know, depending on what uh, organisations you work with. Some people may just have open source or publicly available information. Government organisations will have different holdings. So it's and other disciplines of intelligence. So, but for us, all about the publicly available stuff. Now, Chris, publicly available. I'm just a little bit lost. What do you? What you kind of data are you talking about there? Are we looking at census data? Is this when we get into Google searching? Tell me a little bit more. Unpack it for me a bit. Right. Uh, everything. Everything and all of that. So it's um, it's anything that is accessible. Uh, from someone in in, in any form, uh, and so that could be, you know, it could be something like your census data. It could incorporate all the social media activity. It could incorporate, and with the digital footprints that individuals leave behind, it could incorporate um, uh, publicly uh, government public records. Uh, beyond that, it can incorporate things like um, situational awareness data for like disasters, like what's unfolding. It could be as simple as news reporting. So it really is just taking anything and everything that is in the public domain uh, that you can find yourself without, you know, uh, limited access or restricted access, and then use that to support your analysis to then drive some form of intelligence on the back of it, noting that we only start with information and often, you know, people look at, well, I've got all this information, doesn't that tell me something? It's not until you put it through a cycle of analysis that you derive some form of meaning, and, and that's where we get to the intelligence output at the end of it. Wow, I see. I'm starting to get an idea here now. And um, I'm going to do another little bit of a film analogy here as well, because it does sound a little bit like you're a modern day Indiana Jones, where you're using what every one of us would just look at and go, it's a rock, you know, when you're looking at data, but you're actually able to interpret it. And you're also like an imaginally amazing librarian. Are we on the right track? What do you think? Uh I would say so in the uh, more on the librarian side because you're really trying to understand that that meaning and connect the dots. It really is all about that. Everyone uh, paints a mosaic of their life online and 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 there's there's little snippets here and there. Organizations have the same um, the reporting aspect that comes out of, of uh, even through the news stream. But it's in isolation, those bits of information might not mean something, but it's the combination of all those bits where you tie all the the strings and the threads together and and uh, connect the dots, and, and then you get your, your your picture at the end of it, and then that might tell you something really valuable about what you're trying to understand, depending on the use case. Mm. Chris, on the flip side, with this information and intelligence gathering, what kind of businesses or organisations are coming to you? And, and um, you know, it must be a wide array. You've sort of alluded to that. It really is because every organisation should be making intelligence-led decisions. You know, every organization wants to arm themselves with knowledge uh, so they can perform best or, or achieve the best outcome for, for or make the best decision uh, with the information they have available to them. In terms of the types of organizations, we sort of work in three areas. So we work in government, and that'll be everything from uh, law enforcement to the intel community through to uh, the military. Uh, and then we'll work a little bit in the finance sector. So that'll be everything from uh, banks through to consulting organizations. And a lot of that is looking at things like uh, anti-money laundering and fraud and threats. And then we have the corporate customers, uh, which is probably the, you know, the start of this side where you're looking at things like threat awareness uh, to an organization. You're looking at things like due diligence because you know, even anyone working in the, in the finance sector or the corporate space needs to do a level of due diligence about every activity they're doing. Um, 
it, at an abstract, I would say we we, we play uh, most or most strongly in the uh, counterterrorism and counter-human trafficking space. But there are all these sub areas that connect, and there's a nexus between all of these different areas. Um, and and most organisations have some form of requirement to to again do intelligence-based uh, decision making. Wow, that sounds really interesting, Chris. Um, I think what is coming to my head now as a common person in the in the community. Um, when you're talking about money laundering and everything and the financial threats that um, and things like that coming from a cyber perspective. The thing that um, is popping into my head is digital citizenship and digital footprints. What examples can you share that might make people sit up and take notice? So the, the, the footprint that you leave online if you're an individual and how that can be exploited um, if you look at it from that perspective. And so things like if you get doxxed, and doxxed is where someone will take all of your information and publish it online, they might do it with a vendetta or, or in a negative way. And, and how that might, you know, you essentially, we, we have a, a right to an element of um, desire to have privacy. We don't want uh, some of that information, even if it's available, doesn't mean it should be put on uh, or exposed to people who, who may not have been able to find it otherwise. Then you look at it from maybe a corporate or an, or an economic perspective, you know, high-end execs or, or high-value individuals um, who have uh, have a lot of exposure online, how they might be exploited from that um, their, their digital footprints to adversely affect, say, business decisions. Through to uh, when you're talking about situational awareness in an area during unfolding event, be able to capture that information uh, and understand things as they evolve so you can better position yourself to make um, a, a decision, whether that's Relative, relative to that particular event, or it's for something further down the track. And so, um, you know, that's when we talk about digital citizenship and, and footprints, there's a moral and ethical construct to it. There's a, a lot of um, uh, back and forth in terms of, of what should and could be done versus what is occurring. Uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's a few, few layers of that onion. I appreciate, Chris, you must see this sort of behaviour on a larger scale than maybe what our students and our teachers um, you know, considering when they're we're, they're considering their cyber safety online. But do you have any any advice for our listeners and and for the students to stay safe online and maybe some simple things to protect their info and their online intelligence? Yeah, so I I, I think um, cyber awareness and the program you guys are running is fantastic. Getting that education in early is is super important. Uh, the thing that people coming through who are digital natives. Uh, is the best way to sort of describe it. You know, they're comfortable with social media, they're comfortable with their information um, being out there and, and it's also common practice for them to share everything when they sign up to just about anything. And so, you know, think about all those times you've gone to a random form or you've, uh, or you've bought something from a Facebook ad and you've filled in all your details for the 10,000th time, that's going into a database somewhere. So think about what your backstops are. And by that, I mean, where if someone was to try and find information about you and you need to anticipate that there's going to be a data breach and you need to anticipate that your information is going to be exposed. So be cautious about what you share and what you need to share. And so when you're engaging in any sort of uh, online activity, decide what is most important for you. And so that could be as simple as, okay, I, I'm happy that at some stage or I accept that at some stage my uh, my name, my password, my email address will be shared online, but at no stage do I want my address to be exposed. 
Now, that'll be in a, a database somewhere, but you might set up backstops on how you can protect that. So you might obfuscate, um, unless you're getting something obviously shipped to an address, that's a different story. But if you're setting up just a general you know, Facebook account or you're setting up your, your social media accounts, be, be reserved in what you're sharing, but assess that based on what you're happy to accept that will be exposed. And I think that's the biggest thing is we kind of live in a world now where we need to manage our risk um, because we do need to share information to, to be a digital citizen. Uh, and have a digital footprint that's accepted. Uh, and so manage the risk and understand what you are sharing. So I'd set up backstops, I'd be reserved in what I share, uh, and and I would anticipate down the track that anything I put online at some stage will be exposed. Yeah, that's some some really good advice there, Chris, as a, as a way to think when we are engaging online uh, is that fact that, you know, it's a reality. Uh, it's, going to, it's going to happen that people can go to the trouble of putting it together. Um, then we have to try and help them not be able to put together the puzzle in the right way. So sounds really, really salient advice, that is for sure. Now, look, I, I guess we've heard a little bit of a snippet about, you know, the ideas you're talking about with human trafficking and those kind of things as being a, a non-commercial focus, and that's the the focus of, of intelligence for good. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how we can use intelligence for good in that and other ways? Yeah, Absolutely, and this is something I'm very proud of with with the the company and and the, the team we've we've sort of built because we, we we pour a lot of effort into this, um, and it's all in a philanthropic uh, perspective because it's it's trying to use what other people are using to exploit you online. We're doing it in a reverse fashion where we're trying to whether it's protect life directly uh, or it's trying to support people so they they can uh, recover from from you know exploitation. And so in the human trafficking, which is sort of the first one, that's working with organizations who are actively um, trying to target and, and um, break down and support law enforcement with their efforts. So, you know, we're, we're not a single organization that's trying to, to do these things. We, we, we work with other organizations and build OSINT capability so then they can work more effectively and potentially leverage skill sets of, of private industry um, to look at what that means. And it could be something as, as, as simple as looking at uh, these, these online trafficking networks. They have an online presence. They use the internet as their engagement medium. They groom and then they engage with, with unfortunately, you know, young kids online. And then that's how then they hand them off to, to other areas. So trafficking, people think of it as, you know, people going into cars and getting exploited. Uh, it's also, you know, the trafficking of, of um, exploitation material online. So um, whether that's uh, exploited, you know, imagery and videos, unfortunately, and and how that is distributed. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of unfortunate stuff that occurred during COVID where there was an uptick. Online activity increased, people's exploitation online uh, increased because the exposure uh, was increased. So that's sort of that that side of the, of the exploitation um, or for the trafficking side. Then there's anti-slavery. So this is as, as important when you work with large organisations, understanding who's in their supply chain, that second, third or fourth tier in their supply chain is actually part of or, or employing slaves or, or, or putting people into servitude uh, with no with no reward or, or compensation, uh, and that's a huge problem. You know, there's over 40 million uh, people in a form of slavery globally, and so there's a, a responsibility. And I know Australia's got some legislation that supports that, but there's more that can be done in that space. And it's about supporting organisations to be aware of of what they might not know. They might not know that 
you know, they've got people in their supply chain that are being exploited and it's trying to arm them with that information to, to help on that side. And then the third piece is really around the missing person side. And that's where the digital footprints actually are beneficial. So when someone goes missing, whether it's, um, uh, you know, they've chosen to or they've been exploited, uh, that's not for us to judge. Uh, but it's it, you've still got families and people that are involved in that process that want support. You've got law enforcement that are doing such an amazing job but are resource uh, restricted because of the sheer volume of the problem set. And that's where things like the, the hackathons and, um, and the crowdsource intelligence play such an important role because you can leverage the mass to at least establish some digital footprints that might support a resolution with a case. And, and that's what that's all about um, across those sort of three areas of the philanthropic part of what we do. Chris, thanks for illuminating that, you know, those really serious applications that the in intelligence gathering um, impact that it can have, because I think, you know, many of us ha have maybe only brushed up against these uh, major ideas, particularly in times like this where we're more aware of scams happening, but there are really deeper issues that I can see that um, this kind of work really is solving. And on that note, uh, lots of our listeners, uh, our teachers and, and in turn our students are often thinking about the skill sets they might need to come into industries like yours. And uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about those career skills and maybe a little bit too about your academy and its role. Yeah, so there's, there's the intangibles, the character um, markers, if you will, and that really is you know, anyone working in this field, particularly in the open source intelligence field. I, I won't speak out of out of school for the other intelligence disciplines. Um, they have their own established curriculum, but particularly in the OSINT space, an inquisitive mindset, and you couple that with critical thinking, uh, and for two reasons. The the inquisitiveness is just constantly chasing that next thread and trying to connect the dots. But the critical thinking is important because of the amount of disinformation that's out there and the amount of, uh, or it could be misinformation or disinformation, and the, and the way those things that an analyst needs to critically think about what they're looking at, no different to the academic sphere, but as you're doing that in a, in a more rapid-fire rapid, uh, rapid fire environment. And then looking at being adaptive to rapid changing circumstances because the situation evolves so quickly and being comfortable with technology if you are going to get involved in the OSINT space because you need to know how to go and collect the information before you can start analysing it and that's where you need to be adaptive to tech. So, you know, for digital natives, that's 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 fairly simple um, but it's trying to couple these things together and, and putting a layer of um, tenacity on the back of it. So that would be the intangibles. Then there's then there's the fundamental skills and so, um, you know, the, the raw skills. So we have our OSINT Combine Academy um, and on that we have uh, uh, a series of self-paced uh, online self-paced courses which teach OSINT fundamentals and then we have a, a, a glide path into advanced skills. So we can take someone from basic or no intelligence skills at all, give them fundamental intelligence training, so understanding the intelligence cycle and the principles of, um, of, of bias and cognitive thinking, uh, and then take them all the way through to how do you actually collect information, what is the scale of open source or you know, publicly available information and all the sources that are relevant to that. How do you then go and collect that and analyze that with your analytical techniques? Um, and then going, you know, everything from surface deep down to dark web. So we look at all those techniques and those skill sets and we bundle in a healthy appetite there of, um, of uh, cyber training as well. So people are aware of where and how that plays a role because cyber is, is, is often thought of in systems but people are the biggest vulnerability and the, the biggest exploited space that lead to cyber compromise these days. Uh, and that still rings true. So, you know, we, we bundle all that together. Uh, and then 
outside of the academy, uh, we run a series of, um, of bespoke courses. We normally run um, uh, one or two a month, and we do that where we work with the customer to understand what is their requirements. And because everyone has such a divergent um, uh, mission set, it's trying to work out what is most appropriate and, um, and getting acute training. So yeah, that's that teaches fundamental OSINT capability. Uh, and we do a lot of free stuff with um, with the hackathons to build that to support Australia's uplift of OSINT skill sets. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly an area where I don't think a lot of people have really thought about the opportunities that are there. And you know, with with what you were saying earlier about so many commercial enterprises really actually needing to be able to back up their decisions with proof, and this is where uh, those that intelligence capability really comes to the fore. I can see it see it growing and see you know students and teachers really keen uh, to provide a pathway for their students. And and what could students be thinking about doing now? You know, to develop their curiosity, to develop these these key skills that you're talking about. Is there a subject that they should be focusing on? Is there something that they can be doing, you know, right now to prepare to become, you know, the the, the cyber intelligence experts of tomorrow. So it's an interesting question uh, because a lot of it comes down to what they what area they want to work in, and so it's being it's being you know made aware of the subject matter that they're engaging with. Um, you know, do they want to get into national security stuff? Do they want to get into um, corporate intelligence and understanding, you know, or finance intelligence? I mean, they're all sort of separate disciplines. But right now, if they're interested, I would recommend jump on Twitter, go and look at hashtag OSINT and just follow a lot of the threads there. What you're going to get is a lot of skills-based and knowledge sharing. Um, then how you take that and what you apply that to is really up to the individual because they'll have their own their own intrigue. It could be as simple as if, if they just you know want to uh, enable themselves to to be more efficient in whatever they're doing, buying a car, moving moving house, moving you know all the way through to actually trying to support missing persons cases. You know there's there's crowdsourced activities. Using and being comfortable in how you collect information, analyze it. You know, OSINT and publicly available information. It doesn't always need to be the really exciting stuff at the other end. It can just be yourself being comfortable with how to search better to find the information. Um, and I guess the key part there is we live in an information society. There is more information out there that we can consume, and and how you refine that and data reduce your searching down to what you need. That's the key part. So step one. Twitter and a hashtag OSINT, step two, learn some advanced Google searching techniques, start there and then build on where you actually want to want to apply into those next areas. That was just amazing, Chris. I can tell you being absolutely blown away. And I tell you, I'm, I'm going to have to really investigate and brush up on my searching skills. That is for sure. And make sure that I really go in depth when I am thinking about, you know, what I'm purchasing and what I'm sharing online. Okay. I've got some hints and tips. I can feel an addition of T4L kids coming on. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting how Chris has uh, presented such a wide spectrum of skills that students can grab and run in the space. Could you tell us a little bit about your story and where you started in maybe in primary school? Did you get an idea about this or did you start exploring in high school or in university? And how did it let you start off with OSINT combined? Right. So a, a bit of an interesting journey. I started out in the IT sector. But if I go back to the schooling, I was always a nerd at heart. I was I was tinkering with machines and and trying to self you know self taught programming, and I was always just inquisitive about um, uh, about IT in general. And so I started my career actually in the IT sector, a little bit of pro, uh, software development, a little bit of IT management and infrastructure, 
Um, and then somewhere along the line, I wanted to serve. So I joined the military um, and I did something completely different in the military. Uh, I didn't work in the tech space. Um, and I did that for, for over a decade and found a lot of value. In, and that's where I really developed that understanding of, of you know, that greater purpose and, and service. Um, and then towards the end of my career, I wanted to continue value adding back into the national security space and then sort of combine those two worlds of, of my, my IT slash cyber background with what I was doing in the military um, uh, from a, a ground-based perspective and, and fuse those together. And that's where I started OSINT Combine. Uh, and, I, and I did that uh, a few years ago. And I, we started out as a training organization. The, the initial intent was to develop fundamental skill sets in OSINT back into the national security space. Uh, but then from there, we, we really evolved quickly, uh, found that the curriculum that we developed solved a lot of problems and, and, and supported a lot of organizations with what they were trying to build up. And then that sort of got uh, some global traction and got in, uh, understood, you know, it was sort of after the piece, understood the value to corporate. And so something we push now is um, a heavy private-public partnership where Government needs to work with with the private sector to to get the best outcomes and and for people getting into this field or looking to uh, learn OSINT, you can apply it to any part of your job because it just at the end of the day creates efficiency in finding information and if you have information you can analyze it and if you have more than the next person then you can drive better meanings and and and, and you know knowledge based outcomes so um, so OSINT applies everywhere. And then I built some software, Nexus Explore, which is our flagship platform, um, which is used around the world uh, in a lot of complex problems, uh, and, and then uh, established our services team. So, you know, with that trinity is what we call it, we look at ourselves as an OSINT capability developer, uh, and we can, we can support organizations with training, with leading edge software platforms that are proven uh, with mission success through to uh, services to help them understand the things that they may need to go on the journey with, or when we're doing the philanthropic side, we can throw resources, um, at, you know, to actually go and support those particular uh, objectives. And so, um, so yeah, that's that's my journey. Bit of a bit of a, a, a you know divergent path along the way, but I feel like I've brought them all together at the end. I've got an amazing team that that all come from very similar backgrounds, um, and, and they do an amazing job. So I'm very proud of the of the work the company's involved in. Really appreciate uh, you sharing that storied career with us, Chris. Um, you're really interested to see what comes next for you as well and the team. Um, surely, um, you know, not stopping right here. So looking forward to that. Uh, on the note, I'm wondering if you could let us, uh, you know, finish up with a few words of wisdom from you. Um, do you have advice or wisdom for our listeners or maybe even our students who are preparing to be tomorrow's problem solvers and tomorrow's digital citizens, in fact, today's digital citizens. Any any words of wisdom? Yeah. I mean, I always say remain, and it goes back to one of the principles, is stay inquisitive. So keep trying to find that bit of information because, like I said, if you can arm yourself with that, you're going to be in a better position than you were before. So stay inquisitive. Um, and then be comfortable with that with that online landscape. And then uh, once you get comfortable with that, then your, your world is your oyster uh, because you'll be able to adapt to any situation that, that comes forward uh, because you're going to be armed with, with information and then ultimately knowledge once you've uh, applied some analysis to it. Oh, good advice. That is for sure. And as a librarian myself, Chris, it is music to my ears, I can tell you. That's for sure. Power over information um, sounds like a good mantra. Now, before we let you go,
everyone who comes onto our podcast does get a challenge at the end. And the challenge is called Rocket Ship Robots. It's a little bit like Desert Island Discs from a, a very famous uh, podcast over in the UK. But no, we don't want you to pick your favourite CD or your favourite tune. We want you to tell us if you were in a rocket heading to outer space, what is the one piece of technology that you would take with you? Amazon Kindle, not even going to hesitate. Wow. That's an amazing bit of kit. It's, um, you know, you can fit so many books on that thing. It's light and you can notate. It's a hands down Amazon Kindle. Wouldn't, wouldn't take anything else. I love it. That's the first time I think we've got that answer from anyone on the podcast. Uh, and it's one that's ringing true, I'm sure, to Yvette's heart, to my heart and Mona's as well. Oh, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. I think you've provided us, provided us with so many insights, so much inspiration uh, for Cyber Marvel action. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and, and good luck with the rest of the program. And stay safe online, everyone. So, Yvette and Mona, what would you do with all this online data and intelligence? Look, I think it was really sobering to hear Chris's perspective on, you know, what the power of intelligence gathering and open source intelligence can gather um, and those really serious issues around, um, you know, some of the darker things we don't normally think about. I mean, on my level, I'm usually thinking about the really simple things like making sure my passwords and passcodes are up to date, but really understanding uh, that need to understand and analyse data and also the power that comes not just with the curiosity, but as he kept mentioning, the drive towards finding what the meat of the information provides. I think that was a definite takeaway that I've, I've got from that discussion. Oh, absolutely. I can totally hear what you're saying, Yvette. Uh, I mean, if one of my passwords compromised and then they were all compromised, um, that's a really, you know, scary, scary thought. But I think what dr drilled home to me is that the increasing importance of information literacy as well as digital literacy. So being a really effective searcher in 2021 is way more important than we could have ever imagined. And the power that you have with that ability to interrogate, to find, to discover, and then use it to justify decision-making um, really blew my mind. Uh, and it certainly put me on a different pathway to thinking about, well, maybe with data, it can actually help me to, um, to make decisions and also to, I think, propose different ways of thinking. Uh, what about you, Mona? Yeah, very strong uh, for me as well, because uh, when you talk about data, you talk about whose data is it, who owns it, who are you sharing it with? So when you, when you start talking about that, you start thinking about, is it personal information? Is it, is it public information? And who has access to it? Who am I sharing it with? And how long am I sharing it with them for? And what platforms am I sharing it them uh, on? And, you know, things like that. So those questions I think our students need and teachers need to be in the back of their head every time they click share or, you know, share a post. Mm -hmm. Have they even read it? Have they, do they support what they are sharing? Um, um, because it's going to come back and bite them if they haven't um, thought about the process before you know, clicking a thing. So a click can go a very long way if if uh, you don't have a mature head behind it. So I think what where Chris is coming from is, is a very powerful message. Um, and I think the work that we are doing together will reinforce that for our primary school kids because I think uh, we need to start at the younger age rather than at the... Once, we, once the kids have gone into 
once our students have passed stage five, we might have lost them. I think we need to grab them really early and start instilling these good habits at that early age. That's right, Mona. And I think um, even, at, you know, we all know that to, to have a strong password or passphrase is crucial to being mm. safe online. But I think that dis 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 discussion really challenged me to think a bit more deeply about how I share my personal data and where we're leaving our footprint. So um, I'm sure that's going to be the perfect springboard for teachers to start with their students during Cyber Marvel too. So, Absolutely. And that I accept button, what are we actually accepting? Has anyone read where that data is being shared and who it's going out to? Um, you made a really good point there, Mona. That's for sure. I think it's time to look at some resources. So team, we've seen the power of data and digital intelligence. What are some of the ways we can tame this power in the classroom and also help our students build a responsible digital footprint? Mona, do you have any more information on CyberMarvel? Yeah, so we were talking about CyberMarvel. As I told you, we've got principal webinars and one of the webinars we have for principals, which is hosted by Microsoft, is, is going to empower them to uh, nurture cyber safe citizens. So it's being led by the very amazing Megan Towns, as who we all know, and Andrew Balzer, our very own Andrew. On top of that, we've got professional learning uh, for teachers as well on managing screen time, so their own digital well-being, looking after that, and also learning what the current technology trends are. So that's an offer for teachers and principals. For young students, uh, we've got safe and respectful online behavior through games such as Google's Interland. Um, they can also learn uh, other good uh, online habits through the virtual uh, incursions we have from Oli Online. That is getting a lot of registration, so there's a lot of uh, interest there. Uh, to, so teachers can register their class and let the fun begin in their lessons. Older students can um, enroll into Minecraft and coding challenges offered by Brock Academy. Also, as I said, parents are a part of this journey as well. So we have webinars for parents, uh, popular apps for um, eight to 13 year olds. So as we all know, students use TikTok, Instagram, YouTube and things like that. And parents don't know how they can help their child be safe in, in those apps. So this webinar by Safety Commissioner will help them do that learning. We're also looking at another potential webinar from Amazon, still in development phase and watch this space because it's coming. It's to do with using voice activated technology at home. So things like your Alexa and Google Home and things like that, and the privacy and the security for families to do with those devices. So really, really interesting all this. I, I, I will join one of those sessions as well because I'm really scared of um, Alexa and Google Home and things like that. When are they coming up? When is Cyber Marvel's excitement happening? All through October, but the site is published now. So you can, you're free, feel free, feel free to go and have a look now. But um, most of the on-demand sessions are in October. So all whole month of October is Cyber Marvel. I was going to say, Mona, you've curated the most incredible collection of resources and you touched on the Internet Awesome campaign by Google, which is one of the resources I've taken a look at. And this is just a really interactive way of getting students to think seriously about online safety in a really fun, gamey, gamified atmosphere. So I'd recommend people check that out because I think that students would really use this resource. And I, I just love that Cyber Marvel is a month long campaign. It's not one day, it's not one week, but it's a whole month. And I think that obviously we want everyone to be cyber safe year round. So it could you know, be a bit of a springboard for a whole school plan about cyber safety. 
Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention was our department's digital citizenship page, which is another great source of information. I know that's also curated on there too, uh, Mona. So I'm really looking forward to October kicking off. Joe, what have you got? Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm so excited by October coming forward. And I'm going to continue down the whole information literacy path. And my resource is Google's search education page. So I know one of the things that Chris said was, you know, to become a really good, effective Google searcher or searcher. And there's some great tips in there on how you can get the most out of the search engine. So I really encourage people to go and find out. There's way more than just one search box. There are so many options and advanced features so you can start to narrow down and find what you need and make informed decisions. That's right, Head. So Yvette and Mona, are you going to be doing a little more thinking before hitting the accept button, sharing online, or even just clicking search from now on? Mona, what a blast it has been to have you as a special guest on our podcast. Thanks for joining us, passing on your wisdom and insights, and we will have to get you back on soon. All the best with the Cyber Marvel program. And people, it's kicking off now, so jump online and enroll your student. Mona, don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you back. Thanks, Yvette and Joe, for having me. Thanks, T4L, for their amazing work and the support they've offered for cyber safety education for students. I wish that we continue on this journey for a few more years and raise awareness. Thank you, guys. This podcast has been produced by the masterful Jacob Druce with the assistance and supreme coordination of many more awesome members of a T4L team. Just a little note, please be aware that all views expressed by the podcast presenters, that's us, are our personal opinions and not representative of the New South Wales Department of Education. Discussions aren't endorsements of third-party products, services or events. And please note that as much as we sound like it, we are not experts in legalese, tech speak or anything in between. We're just passionate people, keen to boost technology for learning in the classroom and to help build the school skills in your students and for you to solve the problems of tomorrow. Do your due diligence, read further, and if we've got something wrong, let us know. We too are always learning and always improving. Before we go, please make sure you send us through your comments, your word of techno-wizardry wisdom, and your thoughts for new guests and segments. And if you like the podcast, give us a rating so more and more educators find us and be inspired to get a little techie in the classroom. Stay compassionate, stay safe, stay aware, everyone, and thanks for joining us.